Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bloke and the Bird Show, where this week, unlike so many other places on the web, we will not be talking about all things Donald Trump. This is not the Trump's Bloke and the Bird Show? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's not lined our offices with gold and flashy things with his name? No. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I don't particularly care for him. No, I'm done with him. I've been done with him for a long time. See? And that's all the Trump we will talk about. <sighs> you know what we will talk about, though? What Trump's Trump? Wow. That, <laughs> you had to go there. <laughs> you know, Sniff Petrol, if we want to go with the, the Trump theme for a little bit, and I didn't pull it up, but Sniff Petrol, um, which we, we've mentioned a few times, it's a parody site that is actually written by a guy who's a writer for Top Gear. Um, he th they did an article that McLaren was coming out with the new version of Top Trumps, which is an English card game of you know who has stats that trumps the other, but it was it was more along the lines of how bad could the car get? Oh, <laughs> ooh. Well, I guess that you know they could forget to put the tires on it and could run around on its rotors. Yeah, they, they can't do much worse than that yet. But we don't want to get too deep into McLaren just yet. Okay. What do you want to lead with? Well, let's talk. We have a little more information about the rules changes. Okay. Um, among other things that happened this past week, the World Motorsports Council, which I guess has some role in deciding what rules FOM and the teams and everybody, because we can't make this any more complicated than we already have. <coughs> mm -hmm. But the World Motorsports Council met this week. Mm -hmm. And they discussed some of the proposed rules. We don't know all of them still. They, they haven't given them out. But they did approve at least some of the recommendations. So which ones did they approve? Well, we know that the recommendation regarding um, the changes to the clutch control that mm -hmm. is going to be coming starting in SPA, that was approved. Um, teams have been told that they actually need to disengage all the various things that were used by the teams to analyze the, the, the clutch control pieces. To analyze or to control? Both. Okay. Um, along with that, there are further restraints on radio communications, uh, especially during the formation lap and the outlaps and all that stuff. Um, additional information regarding the status of the car Driver, they're not allowed to radio anymore. Hmm. Again, it's this whole idea of giving the control to the drivers and taking coaching away and whatever. This is one of those rules something. that I think is just pointless, but whatever. Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to get to the point where the radio calls are, the weather in Liverpool is lovely. Well, they're not allowed to use – that's the other thing is um, the coded radio transmissions – are banned as well. So you can't come up and say, fan in seat three out of nowhere and expect that the driver will know what that is because that's a coded radio transmission and you're passing coded information. So you're not allowed to do that either. How that's going to work with the, at the end of the race, okay, strat mode two, when that's telling them to turn down the engines or something, I, I don't know. Well, and, and, you know, how deep does that go? Does target plus three mean that that's coded? Because they determined the target ahead of time. It is, but that's also strategy related as opposed to uh, telling them about the performance. And they're allowed to pass safety information. Arguably, when it comes to pit lane strategies and, and the tire condition, that would, I guess, be considered a safety message. Yeah, but fuel consumption would not be. Correct, and they're not going to get that message anymore. I think they're But, of course, silly. with all these teams that have these multifunction displays, how are they going to be able to stop the information from being sent over these displays? Well, that's the thing. I mean, these, design, these cars are designed to communicate from pit wall to mm -hmm. the driver, and it's a team sport. We don't – okay, let's make an analogy. We don't create a soccer team, and they sit down in the, dug, in the you know, locker room before the, the game and go, this is the way we're going to do this. And then the coach goes sit 
and his car for the match. Well, yeah, or, or better yet, Major League Baseball, and they're calling plays. Yeah. In basketball, they do it too, but yeah. Football, but, you know, all these. You know, they don't set up everything in motion and then say, oh, well, you guys go out there and, and, and do it. Do all the things that we just planned. Yeah. Because things happen in the, in the, the heat of the moment. Things change that require third parties that are looking further out. I mean, goodness gracious, they have weather spotters that are out miles away from the track mm-hmm. communicating with pit wall. And weather messages are going to be allowed. Okay. But even still, I mean, I'm just trying to get the point of this team is bigger than the driver driving the car. Yeah. And I think it I think that may be part of some of the problem if 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 I'm gonna go down this road and talk about the problem with F one. I think Well, no of, show would be complete unless we talked about that. Um next season we're gonna have to get special music for the problems of F one. Um <laughs> but if I have to go down that road, I have to wonder if this the problems of F1, beyond the fact that I think so many of them are self-manufactured, is this disbelief that the fans can grasp that it's a team sport. They, well, they, the, the truth is Formula One can't decide if it's a team sport or an individual sport. And, and what until that it balance makes that decision, is. it can't go down a road. But there's that issue. There's also the issue of some of what the producers who, who are controlling what actually gets broadcast to the world into the media feed, some of what the producers are doing hurt Formula One. And that's self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could easily not broadcast those parts. And change, and then that would change perception. Yep. Other things that that have been agreed on: uh, increased freedom of choice for tire compounds has been confirmed. Although how that's going to work is being negotiated with Pirelli. Okay. Um, also, a new set of regulations aimed at achieving faster, more aggressive-looking cars. We've talked about that. Um, and they've also approved for new constru- new engine constructors. That um, in the, their first year in the series, they get one additional engine for each driver. Okay. So where it's currently four engines a year, you would get five as a new constructor. In order to make things quote-unquote fair, that is being applied retroactively to Honda. So Honda is going to be able to change their next engine without a penalty, theoretically? In theory. Again, let, let's go back to... Honda could probably have eight or nine engines at this point, and I don't think it would fix anything. True. True. Um, did they talk anything about that the concept of a sprint race for Quali? We know it's been proposed. We haven't heard anything confirmed on it. Um, the other thing also with the tires is that Michelin is still talking that they want to get involved in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, they're okay with most of the changes that are being proposed tire-wise. However, what they are against is the current 13-inch wheels that the sport runs. Correct. They want They want 16. They, they prefer 16s. They're willing to go to 17, but their opinion is the 13-inch wheels that the sport is running are not road-relevant and do not add to anything. And and if Formula One insists on staying with the 13-inch wheels, they have said they will withdraw their bid. Yep. Um, so I was reading an article about the sprint race. Mm-hmm. There is mixed reviews amongst the drivers as to whether or not really? they like the sprint races. Hamilton seems to be very for a sprint race, his opinion being anything that makes the weekend more exciting. And, you know, he welcomes the opportunity. I think he just wants to run around the track really fast. Well, that's the thing is I I think Lewis is all for anything that gets him more time on. Well, actually, I can't really say that since he had the opportunity to do the test session and went running off with Farrell. So maybe not. (laughs) Maybe in front of fans. I don't know. Maybe. Um, however, and I don't think this really surprises me, the two of our German drivers, Nico Rosberg and Sebastian Vettel, 
both fairly opposed. Hmm. Citing, are you ready? Tradition. Okay. (laughs) Once you hear the reasoning behind it, you kind of understand why they're particularly for it, against it. Um, They think that it's been the same and this is the tradition of F1, and to change the tradition changes its very core. Yes and no. I mean, it's still a race series, and it is still about making those cars go as fast as possible, and that is maximizing the time that these cars are on the track. And based on that, I, I don't see how it's bad. Um, from a, from a tradition standpoint, especially because qualifying has changed multiple times over the years as Formula One has had to deal with a variety of factors, including at one point more entries than they could actually fit on the grid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know if I, the traditional argument holds up with me. Well, that's just what they're reporting. Okay. So, remember last week, we we had our breaking news. Breaking news. That Aston Martin was in talks to return to Formula One with Red Bull as a partner, and that they would be taking on Mercedes engines as part of this deal. Mm-hmm. Well, a little more insight into this piece, or, or the story has gotten a little deeper, let's say that. Oh, do tell us deeper. Well, apparently, um, reports have come from Autocar Magazine that one Adrian Newey is working on designing a a road car for Aston Martin to compete in the extreme hypercar, supercar type level against McLaren in their P1 and Ferrari in their ultra-high-end FXX and whatever else that they've got. But it's a car that would be designed for that market. Interesting. Yeah. Along with that is talk that Red Bull's engineering division, because they have an automotive engineering division, obviously, to support all their automotive or or their autosports needs. But that is also going to be somehow tied in with this deal for Nui to do some design work. Interesting. I have an article that says that the rumors are that Aston Martin has reached out to not just Red Bull, mm-hmm. but Williams yes. and Force India. I've heard that as well, um, with a lot of talk saying that since this deal would come with a Mercedes engine, um, that just from a natural standpoint, Williams and Force India would make better sense. Um, especially with Force India being in much weaker financial position than Williams is right now. Um, But along the same lines, I think actually, and and I've heard both ways. You saw an article that said that Mercedes really doesn't want Red Bull to get Mercedes engines, and I've also heard the other thing that actually Mercedes is in, in support of it because, you know, additional customer teams lowers the overall R&D, well, it distributes the overall R&D cost that much more on these engines. True, but, you know, when you have the top engine on the grid and the potential of some of the best aeronautics, if Andrew Nui is involved, again, you run in that risk of creating competition for you. You do, but it's still a customer car. It's still a customer car. Um, Now, Aston Martin's chief executive, Andy Palmer, has told Autosport, And this is the quote. The paddock is always full of rumors. We have to explore ways of getting Aston Martin's name known around the world, and we use the World Endurance Championship principally to do that. My job is to concentrate on turning Aston Martin around. So they're not saying gung-ho, we're talking to people. They're not. Um, But the other thing is, if you're Renault, 
you've got to be very concerned about this at this point. Besides oh, yeah. the fact that you're having issues with your engines and your reliability and your performance, you're down to what originally was, what, four teams, five teams running your engines. You're currently down to two, and one of those teams is talking about taking their balls and going off to somebody else, leaving mm-hmm. you with potentially one, and even that, I think, is doubtful. And then you run into the, the Honda problem. With mm-hmm. one engine on the grid, you don't get enough research, you don't get enough information to make your engine viable. And unless you're performing well, nobody's really going to be interested in signing on with you. Right. Exactly. Because I don't think that people are clamoring for the Honda engine right now. Well, that's the thing is this has got to be the absolute worst case scenario, not just for Honda, but for Formula One in terms of attracting engine constructors back into the series. Mm -hmm. Because seeing how badly wrong Honda has gotten it, and the fact that the only way Honda is going to dig themselves out of this hole is a very expensive multi-year project, it's a deterrent to anybody else who might consider coming in, whether it's Toyota or BMW or anybody else, or Ford or Caterham, well, Caterham's not, not Caterham, um, Cosworth. Mm -hmm. Any of those teams to come back... You see what what happened with Honda, and Honda is a team that has had a lot of success with engines in Formula One when they were just a constructor. It's a deterrent. It is. I mean, starting a Formula One team is like signing on to throw away money for the first few years. Mm -hmm. And that's sad because you're not going to get that back. I mean, I wonder about Haas coming in, and Haas is already announcing they're looking for experienced name drivers. I mean, they're looking to pick up people off the grid. Well, the thing with Haas is that they're essentially coming in as a child team of Ferrari. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that there is actually going to be a significant amount of information sharing and knowledge transition between the two teams, and they will be pushing the limits of what can go back and forth, much like the... Red Bull Toro Rosso arrangement. So, well, exactly. I mean, Haas Racing's already come out and said they're planning on buying every part from Ferrari they can get. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of new teams, I want to take one little side trip and talk about Manor for a second. Okay. You know, in the British Grand Prix, they had some of their best finishes ever. They did, however, Will Stevens was very upset with the team. He was, because apparently they were not ready for him when he came into a pit stop, and he was there for 14 seconds. Well, there was that. He chewed up his tires because they mistimed the calls for the pit stops. Everything fell apart at the end of that race. Mm -hmm. But they have become—the story about them that's important is that they are becoming more and more competitive with every single race. Mm -hmm. And while things fell apart for them at the end of that race, it was not— on the track that it was falling apart. Will Stevens, Roberto Mary, both are really doing a great job of pulling their weight and driving above their car's abilities. They are on track to be doing very well in 2016. So I think that we've got, you know, brighter skies ahead of us. But by the way, I got some more info as to who their new sponsor is, the one that has caused them to change the color of their side pods. Something box. It's called Flexbox. What's a Flexbox? Odds are you have seen Flexbox and you see Flexbox just about every single day. Flexbox is one of the biggest owners and leasers of containers in the world. Interesting. Most of the uh, shipping containers, the big metal boxes, those are Flexbox containers. Interesting. That's who is their new sponsor. Very interesting. That's kind of exciting. It There's is. some money there. That is. Um, speaking of money, and in this case, a lack thereof, uh, Lotus found themselves in court this week, in the English High Court, with a winding up order. Now, I don't know the full details, of, but my understanding is that this is like pretty close to start seizing assets kind of a uh, a judgment. Wow. Um, one of their cre- – or, or several of their creditors, in particular their transmission supplier, um, has come after them for outstanding bills and unpaid bills. Um, 
Lotus's response is that this is an overreaction, uh, and a lot of the overreaction is uh, creditors and suppliers who are um, reacting out of fear of, and, and seeing what happened after the Marusha and Caterham implosions, mm-hmm. and they have taken extreme actions. Lotus also says that some of these bills that, that were called into question and, and included in this court order are not due yet. Ah. So, But that's what Lotus says. We haven't heard anything about the team shutting down, but this is definitely not a good sign for them. But we heard money troubles and woes from them in Raikkonen's last year at Lotus. We've known that they have been on the ragged edge for many years. Uh, A lot of people have said that the downside to the success that they saw um, in 2013 and – I don't know. I didn't see any success in 2014. In 2013 in particular, especially towards the end of 2013, was because the team was spending a lot of money. Mm. And they were taking the gamble that it would pay off in the terms of the higher position and the more points and an increased distribution from the prize fund. Ah. Well, I'm sure that Maldonado breaking cars is not helping their cash flow situation. No, especially not after last year. I, I really can't understand how the math works that he still has a drive, considering he seems to cost teams more than he brings them. Yeah, I don't understand. Am I, he's got to be doing a whole lot more than 30 million pounds currency, Phil, um, a year in damage. <laughs> Though this is I what you have brought hesitate, us to, Phil. I would hesitate to say he's probably doing 30 million pounds weight in damage, too. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of drivers, so coming out of the uh, Silverstone and all the various press conferences, Ron Dennis of McLaren came forward and said that Jensen Button has a seat for 2016, that they are not looking at drivers, that, that, they, that McLaren is keeping their driver lineup as is. Mm-hmm. And the truth is Jensen has a contract. But well, but and this is where um, the following day, Andy Benson over at the BBC came out and said, "Okay, hold on, back the truck up a sec." Jensen is not guaranteed a seat. Explain. Jensen's contract for starters is what's known as a one plus one contract. His seat was guaranteed for 2016. His seat for or, or for 2015 rather, his seat was guaranteed for 2016. It's an option. The team has the option to exercise whether or not to keep Jensen, or they could cut him loose. Combine that with it has come out over the the months, and and we knew that uh, over the offseason that Jensen and the decision as to who would take that seat was up in the air. It was hard fought, fought between various factions in McLaren leadership. Ron Dennis was not a Jensen fan. Ron Dennis wanted Kevin Magnuson in. Ah. But then you add on top of it, McLaren, much like Red Bull, has a bit of a talent logjam. Right, because they're... Well, you have Kevin Magnuson, obviously, who is their reserve driver, who, by the way, is not racing in any other circuit now at this point. Mm -hmm. He is just tied into their reserve structure. Kevin has not even been involved in the testing. And his one opportunity to get in the car uh, for Fernando for Australia didn't really – well, it, it was it did not start. But behind him is one Stoffel Van Dorn. Right, and he's a, like on a four-win uh, streak in FP2 um, – in Formula 2, Formula 3? I believe it's GP2. GP2. He was the runner-up the year Kevin won GP2. Correct. And he is, like you said, being, doing very well. 65-point lead in the series. And he has had some time behind the wheel in testing. Oh. Yeah. But I, I read an article talking about him that McLaren has already come out and said that they're not really looking at new drivers, 
but they're specifically not looking at him because there's three drivers in front of him in line for the potentially next yeah and so they've got they've got a, you're right they've got a log jam but there's a lot of good reasons to keep Jensen around explain other than the fact that the man is the biggest company man I have ever met and not met um <laughs> but call me <laughs> He, he is he is a very big company man. I mean, obviously he's got the race wins. He's he's got a world championship to his name, mm-hmm. and you know, let's face it, with a team like McLaren to be two world champion drivers, multiple constructors, and to be where they are is, Four points. is tragic. But he Four is points. because he is such a company man. He is a great ambassador for the company. He's a great ambassador for the sport. The sponsors love him, and it's for things like this. You know, we've got pre-race Gridwalk. He's back down in 18th place, and the press still go to him. Perfect example. No, JB um, had a word. I? I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm, I, I, you're like a magnet. I keep coming to you. Um, yeah. Difficult. I find it difficult to ask you when you're right down the back there, but you're, you're going to have some fun at the start, aren't you? See, the only reason why he's interviewing me is because I've come up for the national anthem. He wouldn't go all the way back down there. It's too far for you, isn't it? At my age, definitely. But you're young and fit. You do triathlons. How many other drivers are going to get seeked out, sought out like this? <laughs> I mean, truly. Well, it... it... He, always he wasn't has... sought out. Jensen was passing by him because he was at the head of the grid walk. He wasn't down in 18th looking for Jensen. But the truth is, the Marouches, they don't go to them as much as, as they do to Jensen. How many times have we heard from Pastor Maldonado or Roman Grosjean? Well, yeah, but, you know, English isn't their first language. Okay, back to the the whole company man thing. He's back down in 18th place. He has had a crushing season. Yes, what does he say? And this is what he has to say pre-race on the grid. We're going to have a good day today. What can you do from here? Go forward. That's a bit close, that one. You're learning. (laughs) Um, It's going to be tough. I mean, we're starting right at the back, but... You know, I've got Fernando alongside me. It's always fun racing him. And you never know what can happen in a race like this. And we're in front of the home crowd. The weather's nice. I'm driving a Formula 1 car. I'd rather be 18 places further forward, but you deal with it. And uh, Monday morning, it'll obviously be very busy in ways that we can improve it. So, Thank you for your time, Jensen. I mean, truly, how do you, how do you turn around when, when you're having such a dismal season and you can't look at Fernando because Fernando is – you can see that smile is painted on – and instead, you know, you get something that Susie Perry describes like this. Possibly one of the most hilarious grid walks that we've ever had. It was almost like an advert for Tinder with those two on the grid. Imagine a night out with Jensen and DC. <laughs> one of the things that I find that Jensen is a master at, particularly with DC, and they know each other very well. Yes. They're, they're buddies. They're very they, good friends. They and- hang out together they have a beer for the old boy which is jensen's dad together and all of that kind of stuff is dc will walk up to jensen and put the microphone in jensen's face and then stutter because he doesn't know exactly what he wants to ask jensen and there's nothing you can ask at this point yeah i mean it's like well how you feeling today for the race you're in 18th place or you're in 40 the 44th grid slot well what is what does that mean for you today i mean he doesn't have anything to ask him and yet jensen will he's savvy enough that he bails him out every single time and he does every time he does it is amazing i wish you had also pulled back to back the the two interviews because he did almost the exact same thing when he was in 44th at the Red Bull ring. Yeah, in Austria. Um, it was the, I don't know what to ask you. You're in 44th, you know, technically a 44th grid slot. And Jensen's like, yeah, but I'm still driving a Formula One car. <laughs> I'm still yeah. having a good day. And it's not going to be easy. And we're starting that stop. He goes, but we're going to have fun in this first lap. <laughs> yeah, he was hoping to race Fernando, but that's not going to happen. And But, you know, still, we're out there. We're Up until that penalty, the stop-go penalty I have to take, it's going to be great. <laughs> we won a really good lap of, of racing. So, yeah. You know, you kind of wish that you could have a Jensen in just your normal life. 
How would it be to walk around with somebody that's that upbeat when things are going to heck? No, because at some point you're just like, go away. <laughs> Dude, enough. You know, I we, know you just we, burned we the pot roast last chippy. night, but it's okay because yeah. you're still – you got cheesecake for dessert. <laughs> yeah, we call them chippy and chirpy, and we don't like it. At some point it becomes too much. Because of the fact that Jensen only does this when he's on camera, he's perfect for that. Well, we don't know how chippy and chirpy he is in his normal life. I, well, you know, I'm still convinced that since 2013, because they had such a great car in 2012, 2013, they changed the suspension and everything started to go nuts, that that's when Jensen wandered around the factory and looked at every single engineer and went, you ruined it! You honestly think that happened? I, I like to picture that that's how it went. You know what? I think that what happened is Jensen went around to every engineer in the factory and said, That's okay, mate. Let's go run the try. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You can do better tomorrow. It'll be fine. We're 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 making F one cars. They're still talking about us in the in the press. So, you know, remember, all press is good press. And, and by the way, why haven't I seen your registration for the Jensen Button Try and Derby in three weeks? You know <laughs> I know. <laughs> we have a triathlon coming. So we have that story. The other big story to come out of the race, well, I think it was the only stories to come out of the race, was the whole Williams situation. Everything that had to do with Williams this weekend. The situation. The strategy and how it played out and how it worked. Um, Williams has come out and said that they have basically gotten 50% of the the feedback from the fans and, and all their various social media out, outlets that were absolutely for everything that they did this weekend and bummed out that it fell apart when it rained and the other 50% that want to know what the heck they were thinking. Wow, there's some serious armchair F1 drivers. Yeah. Where it it really, we got the impression that something was up, mm -hmm. I guess, it was around lap 11, there was this radio message that went out to Valtteri, who was nipping at Moss's heels. Do not race your team. I have more place. Can I overtake? I can do it in the back straight. And the general response that came out from the commentators that we were listening to was, just let him go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were kind of looking at it, well, we can understand wanting to let him go, but the fact is you've got Massa, who has been told on many occasions move over for your slower teammate, and he no longer takes it very well, <laughs> to put it mildly. Right. He doesn't, and he shouldn't. I mean, seriously, that poor boy has been sidelined for so long and so often. It you got to deal with his own psyche. He's not Jensen. He's not Jensen, and the team has underperformed this year that – well, let's see. You know, radio sending over a radio call that kind of sounded like this. Okay. So, Fernando is faster than you. Can you confirm you understood that message? I just I can't believe Rob Smedley was willing to put himself in that position again. I know. <laughs> I know. But that wasn't any time this year. No, this was year. many, many years ago with Ferrari um, that that happened. Um, and it's not – unfortunately, it happened, I think, last year as well at Williams where Smedley had to radio, and I have never been able to get a good, clean clip of it, which is why I don't have it. Valtteri is faster than you. And he actually used those words, and every single commentator afterwards said, what the heck was he thinking saying it that way? There were much better ways. You knew he was going to get pissed at that. Yeah. Why did you do that? Well, but, did he get pissed and go faster? I don't know. You know, I, I actually know he always they, meant... he let Valtteri through after that right, after that call. But Williams chewed on it for a little, for a little bit, and they came back after uh, what about a lap lap and a half later with this call. It has to be a very clean move, and you need to pull away when you're in front. Clean move, <laughs> which it was great. He tried. He couldn't get past. But the one thing that American viewers missed, and 
It was amazing that he agreed to it. But over on the British side, Ben Edwards and David Cothard with the call then were able to get, right after that message came out, Pat Simmons, the chief technical officer for Williams, and on the pit wall making the call, got to talk to him as the re- immediately after the, uh, Valtteri w- was released mm-hmm. to discuss the strategy. So let's listen to what Pat had to say because I think it's fantastic. Joins us right now from the pit wall. Pat, what a situation you've got here. Do you say to Massa, let him through? Because Bottas does look quicker. Uh, no, we're not going to say let him through. We're going to allow them to race. That's the, the Williams way. It uh, gets the heart beating a little bit at the moment, I have to say, but that's the way we choose to do it. Well, that's, that's re- refreshing, Pat. For a moment there, we were, we were misunderstanding that they were being told not to race. But uh, So they're, they're going for it. If Bottas can make a clean move, then uh, we'll see the outcome. The, yeah, Alan, we did tell them not to race while we sorted out uh, how we thought that Mercedes might react to the position we needed to think about that but um, we'll see what happens now so pat have you got the race pace to to fend them off do you think how can you work this one now uh i wish i knew <laughs> <laughs> it's it's difficult but um we've got the pace at the moment but you know it's a difficult place to overtake it'll all happen around the pit stops i think Okay, thank and you how, how they may react to what we're doing. Well, actually, just on that, what do you do in this situation? Uh, we expect one stop this afternoon. Do you hold the dominant position and you wait for Mercedes to make a move, or do you stick to what you believe is best for your car and see the outcome? That's what we're working on. <laughs> Thanks, Pat, and uh, get back to the race. This is a key race. Just how awesome is that, that right after that decision is made, that they're able to go right to the pit wall, and the guy who's making that decision is then willing to go and talk about it, if it not worldwide, at least to the home fans. Correct. I think it's awesome. The access the BBC gets is phenomenal. Of course, they pay Bernie for it, so. Yeah. Um, but that did you catch that key comment when I asked him what, you know, whether or not they were going to have Massa move over. And Pat's response was, it's not the Williams way. Correct. It's not. Their philosophy is to let their drivers race, not to have team orders that has a one-two driver a la the red team. Yeah. See, now, a Ferrari strategy and a Ferrari scenario would have been team first, and this was a would be a better way to – reinforce their lead would be to let the the faster driver through and open up some distance and open up some space for protecting against the undercut protecting against the other things because the team comes first Mm -hmm. as opposed to letting the drivers get that position there's been a lot of question about especially considering that there was this threat of rain as to whether or not letting the the drivers race like this was the best option because the thought being, especially given how close that undercut was, Lewis did, did undercut Massa at that pit stop, just barely. If, mm-hmm. that, if that pit stop was a tenth or two-tenths of a second slower, he would have come out behind Massa. But if they had let uh, Botas through, and he was able to gain, like he had been saying, a half to a second a lap on Massa— could he o- have opened up enough of a gap that Lewis would not have been able to run an undercut against him? And Alan McNish argues, and I, I haven't done the math, so I don't know if he's correct, but Alan McNish argues that by doing that, by letting the faster driver out there, and that even if Massa had been overtaken, that a first and a third would have brought them more points than a second and third or arguably a first and a fourth still would have brought them more points than a second and a fourth, assuming that Rosberg had gotten past Massa as well, and that it would have made better sense to try and consolidate that gap and to get him out there and get him more space to bring in more points for the team. The big what if Mm -hmm. in this whole scenario is if it hadn't rained, is if it hadn't rained. The thing is, this race, from my armchair, was won by picking the lap right Mm -hmm. that you 
came in on to change to inners. We watched it kill Kimmy's race. Yep. We watched it win it for Lewis. I mean, and cinch it for Lewis. It, we watched Vettel, who came in on the exact same lap that Lewis did, skyrocket up because of it. And there's the little, you know, what if factor even more. Williams running a low downforce car didn't have the downforce when they lose it. You lose more downforce in the rain. So when you lose even more on an already low downforce car, they're not going to have been able to keep the pace. Well, it, it's not so much that they lost downforce. Is that once it rains, in order to to be able to take the turns better and, and to perform better, you need more downforce. Right. So here's the thought. And – I don't have the technical maths or mm-hmm. any of that. But, okay, let's just say Valtteri got in front of Botas. Uh, Valtteri got in front of Massa and took off and protected better against the undercut that happened, which put Lewis – I mean, Lewis was ahead before the rains came. Um, let's just say that that happened. Let's say that we started in the rains with a 1-2 for Williams and Lewis was still sitting in third. Mm-hmm. Lewis still made the call exactly right when to get those tires. True. And you're now having to assume that Williams would have made that call because they didn't make the call. They left them out two laps too long on those tires. They and did. And so in addition to the fact that they're not good in the rain, they left them on slicks in the rain too long. And so you've got all of these different what-ifs that happened later in the race. In lap 11 – Versus lap 48 or 43, which is the lap that Lewis came in for enters, that race changed dramatically. It it did. But again, it it goes back to if Williams had had the chance to open up a gap because for 22 laps, and this is something we have not seen in a very long time, for 22 laps, the first four cars were within a second and a half of each other. That was the distance between first to fourth. We haven't seen that in years. Mm -hmm. If instead Valtteri, if he had the pace he thought he did and had been allowed to open up and pick up a second to two to three seconds, there is that thought being that by opening that up and giving him some clean air, even after the rains came and knowing that Williams, they were late coming in, knowing that they were not going to perform as well in the rain, they had a little more room to play with. And there was the chance that instead of a fourth and fifth, they might have been able to hold on to at least a third and a fourth. Or possibly even one of them could have had enough of a gap to have held off Rosberg a little longer. That that That's the whole thing. By, by getting that extra time earlier on, when everything fell apart come lap 48 and 50, they would have had a little bit more of a grace period to recover from that. And you may be right, but I think that the argument becomes the equivalent of saying, well, we could have ham and eggs if, you know, if we had ham, we could have ham and eggs if we had some eggs. It's too many what ifs in a series. Yes, if this happened and this happened and this happened, it could have changed everything. Or you could have done everything differently and still wound up with the same result. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know about the whole second guessing. I have to tell you that I am pleased with William's decision from the wall to let their boys race and not to tell Massa to give way. To let, if Botas could take it, he could have it. And that, I thought, was a phenomenal call. And when we talk about the problems with F1, it's when we have these situations. Because let me tell you the what if that would guarantee to happen. Radio call comes from Williams to Massa. Valtteri is is faster than you. Let him by. Mm -hmm. That happens. The fans would be up in arms. They're not letting their guys race. They're not letting the guys race. This is this is formulaic and it's processional and it's not fun. We had 22 laps where there was a second and a half between first and fourth. And it was arguably an outstanding 
race. And people keep talking about Bahrain last year in 2014 for the racing between those two Mercedes boys. And they're going to talk about Silverstone for the first 22 laps. And at 23 laps, we didn't have a guy taken off and putting four seconds between him and the next guy instantaneously. We still had a race. For 22 laps, we talked about the people up front for the first time all year. Well, I would even argue that just the fact that we have teams who approach who would approach this situation with different philosophies and that we're now going back and we're discussing whether or not the Williams philosophy or the Ferrari philosophy was the right way to approach it, I think even that is good. It's good because it's continuing people talking about F1. And it's t- continuing people to talk about what's going on. And it is reminding us all that it was an exciting race. And you know something? I wish Massa and Valtteri had podiums. I so wish it so badly because they're phenomenal drivers and they're good guys. And I love the team at Williams a lot. I do. Mm-hmm. But... Letting them race, if that costs them a podium, it won something for F1. And when it's all said and done, it's not an individual sport for the driver. It's not a team sport for the teams. It's F1 as a sport as a whole. That's what they're trying to solve and figure out and make better. And so all those teams feed up to F1. Mm -hmm. And Williams made the right call for their philosophy and for F1 as a whole. And as F1's future, will they'll call back to these points. They'll call back to Mercedes going, you boys race, just bring both cars home. How many times have we heard that quoted? Yeah. They'll go back to that. And you know what they'll discourage? They'll discourage the number of times that we saw, you know, Red Bull tell Weber to pull over and let Vettel go by. Or how many times Massa got told to pull over and let Fernando go by, and then Fernando still finished sixth. I mean, that's not the same. It's not racing. If you are going to say, I want racing, you have to assuage that concept. Well, it, it again, goes back to, is Formula One a team sport or an individual sport, and how they approach it? But I want to go back and and something else that we love to do, I want to be able to do. We like to bash NBC Sports coverage. And once again, I'm going to do it. Okay. So we have to go all the way back. What was it? Lap one or lap two-ish in those initial battles of Williams taking position. Okay. And the FIA, because the FIA handles all the feeds – Cuts to this position as William, or, or cuts to this shot as Williams is um, taking over the one-two slot from Mercedes and rocketed off the start line. They cut the, the FIA cuts to the shot in the garage of the Williams folks jumping up and down, focusing right in on Susie Wolf, wife of Toto Wolf. Yes, but also the test and development driver for Williams in the Williams garage. All excited seeing this happens and celebrating, and I want to say it was Lee Diffie over at NBC Sports going, how great it is to see Claire Williams all excited. And I'm sorry, Lee Diffie and everybody out there, but other than the fact that Claire Williams and Susie Williams are both women, that's where the similarity ends. Well, they were wearing the same Williams shirt. No, they weren't. They weren't? No. They weren't wearing the team shirt? Well, they were wearing a team shirt, but Susie has her own different team shirt that she wears compared to everybody else. (laughs) That's where the comparison ends. They don't look anything close, other than the fact that both of them are women. They don't look anything similar to each other whatsoever. Maybe Lee Diffie thinks that all women look alike. I I don't know. Um, But post-race, even better. Okay. Post-race, the BBC, who can do things right, um, Eddie Jordan and uh, Susie Perry are talking to Toto Wolf, mm-hmm. And um, Eddie can't resist the opportunity to poke at Toto over this. 
Classic moments of that race for me yeah. was to see his wife jumping up and down when Williams were first and second. How did that feel for you? <laughs> we are not on speaking terms at the moment. I can understand that. No, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Toto had to put in that that was a joke. Yeah. Because, you know, heaven forbid Susie hear that and go, what? Now we're really not on speaking terms. Now... That wasn't the only little exchange between Mercedes and Williams, though. Yeah. Um, later on in the race, Mercedes pulled a little bit of a controversial move. Yes. Mercedes came out, um, and that was the question, whether it was real or not. Mercedes sent the pit crew out into the lane with tires a little early. Um. However, once the Mercedes cars made it past the pit entrance, they pulled everybody back in. Recognizing what this was, Susie sends a text message over to Toto. Quote, you guys think you can fool us. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) And everybody was wondering, was this a dummy or did Mercedes – were they considering pulling one of the cars in knowing that it would put pressure on Williams? Knowing this, Susie Perry asked Toto what the deal was. But tell me, there was a there was a little moment in there when the crew came out and it seemed like a, a dummy pit stop. What was going on there? Were you trying to trick Williams? Yeah, you know, sometimes you have to play these little games and we, we knew that an early stop would probably bring them into troubles with uh, running running long with the tire so we made it made it made a try but they didn't fall. Uh, they didn't they didn't swallow the dummy. Now that's kind of amusing. There's a problem. The dummy's illegal. Right. The FIA sporting regulations specifically prohibit pit lane personnel from being in the pit lane unless they are actually preparing for or about to do a pit stop. So by putting his personnel out into the pit lane, he was in violation of the rules. Charlie Whiting has since come out and warned Mercedes and the teams, don't do that again. (laughs) But see, this is okay. Toto could have easily lied and said we were strongly considering pulling the guys in, but the guys, you know, they turn, you know, we asked for one of them to come in, and they went by the pit lane entrance and said, "I'm not ready yet," and mm-hmm. refused, and so we brought them back in. He could have easily said that. No, he got swept away in a moment mm-hmm. and decided, you know, since he was screwing around with the BBC crew, and he obviously was, yeah. As well as all the media, because later that afternoon when he was questioned by it, I said, yeah, you know, I'm I'm probably going to be having Indian by myself tonight. Because <laughs> they want to know how Williams was going to take it. Um, he was swept up in the moment and was willing to go and throw that out there. Arguably, Charlie Whiting could have come after the team over it. Mm-hmm. But... Everybody has come out and said it's kind of a gray area, and yeah, he could have turned around and said, uh, you know, exactly what you said. And Charlie has since warned them not to play that game again. Along the same lines that night, Susie tweeted out a picture of the two of them from behind standing in front of the Indian restaurant that uh, no no eating Indian alone, all's fair in love and war. Yes. (laughs) You know, they're... Adorable couple of F1, truly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an odd dynamic. It really is. It really is. So the last thing I would share. The last thing on your list. The big influencer to the entire weekend in the race was obviously the weather. That threw everything off. And throughout the day, it just got screwier and screwier. Uh-huh. Also, what's ridiculous is the changing weather. It's now freezing cold <laughs> from being <laughs> boiling hot earlier. It's welcome to British summertime, isn't yeah. it, really? You're actually shaking. I am. You're I'm Scottish, cool. for goodness sake, man. He doesn't up. live in this climate <laughs> anymore. He doesn't I'm, live here. I'm upwind. I'm like a windbreak for you two. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Every time I hear that that clip, I die laughing. Susie Perry telling David Cothard to man up. <laughs> You're Scottish, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, I mean, but the changing weather was a very big factor. 
the fact that David Cothard was complaining that he was cold seems a little odd. You know, the getting back to Williams and the car and what happened with when the rain happened, you mentioned it, that they are a very low downforce car and how that impacts everything and, and why it impacts them more than everybody else. And a lot of the theory has to do with the budget issues. Mm. The fact that unlike Ferrari and Mercedes, who have much larger budgets, and the estimate on the Ferrari side is about $100 million, Williams has to be very tactical about where they apply their development dollars and where they really look. And their decision was to develop a car that was a low downforce car that would perform better at these high speed tracks. And they knew that when they really needed downforce, they were going to suffer. And as a result, you see things like Monaco where they might have been better off not showing up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But knowing that Silverstone they were going to do fairly well at, Canada they were going to do fairly well at, Azar Monza has the potential to be another strong race for them. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what they bring to Monza because of the fact that they they could have had such great success if the weather didn't have Mm -hmm. a factor. And so perhaps they will have better success there. I mean, I want, I think they deserve a podium this year. I really do. Well, they've had one. You're right. Valtteri one was on, or two. Valtteri was on the, in the third slot. Yeah. But I think they deserve more than that. I think a they race deserve, win would be nice. A race win would be nice. But as long as that doesn't, that still comes with a Lewis P2, I'd be very happy about <laughs> that. I love them, but I love Lewis a little more. So okay. I'm free to admit that. Are we ready for the last story? Yeah, I think we are. All right, so um, for our last story today, we're going to go in the Wayback Machine. Okay. I, I'm going to propose that possibly F1 drivers never die. Okay. Because occasionally they get exhumed. Uh, why? Well, apparently... And who? <laughs> well, as we're closing in on the 20th anniversary of the death of Juan Miguel Fangio... Okay. His body is about to be exhumed per an Argentinian judge. Why? Well, there's a court case, of course. Apparently, he is being exhumed for DNA testing for a paternity case. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting that one. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense knowing the reputation of drivers, but... All right, so... You know, we talk about, you know, occasionally we talk about big names in Formula One, and Fangio is definitely a name that everybody Mm -hmm. should know. But let's do a little, you know, recap here. He won the world title in 1951 and then won it every year from 54 to 57. He's a five time world champion. And he, uh, his body will be exhumed on August 7th this year. Um, He began racing in the 30s with a Model A Ford taxi. (laughs) <laughs> he, he's famed for his tactical genius and as well as prolific speed when required he won his titles with alfa romeo maserati mercedes and ferrari along with 24 grand prix victories now fangio was never married and had never recognized children in his lifetime although he had a long relationship with a woman andrea Bernay who is Espinoza's mother. It's Oscar Caesar Espinoza, who is claiming to be Fangio's descendant, and thus a DNA test is required. Okay. What is he, do, do we know what, other than being linked to Fangio, what he's hoping to gain? I'm guessing a portion of the... I'm just wondering if there is a substantial estate there. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing an estate. The, my question is about 20, you know, the 20-year difference here. Um, because I'm quite sure that he was not born in 1995 when Fangio died. I mean, Fangio was 80 when he died. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's the question of why so long, what, you know, what has it taken to get this far? But they did order for his body to be exhumed. I'm assuming that, you know. We will find out if he really did have a son. Yeah, you'll need to keep an eye on this. This is one of those soap opera-esque stories. You know, is he going to come back? (laughs) (laughs) But that is um, stories from the grave, I guess. (laughs) I don't don't know how else to wrap that one up. (laughs) 
Maybe we need the Bill and Ted's. Uh, oh no, no, that wasn't Bill and Ted's. That was um, Wayne's World. Wayne's World. When the Wayback Machine. Yes. Or the Wayback, whatever. Um, as a closing comment, not Fangio at all. Um, the there was a crash in a WSC. Uh, Renault Formula, Formula 3.5 race. race. Yes. What, what involved, is the deal with this? Okay, so it involved Roberto Mary. Um, it happened today, the day that we're recording. Um, the drivers are okay. Um, I saw the video, but I saw it without any sound because mm-hmm. there wasn't sound on it. Um, so I don't know what was going on, but what it appeared like is one of the cars was coming down a straight, slowed down, and a car behind, and I don't know which car was Mary's and which car wasn't mm-hmm. Mary's, car behind came in, came up underneath his rear tire gearbox, flipped him, and sent him to the left-hand side. Oh, wow. Um, debris was everywhere. It slowed or stopped about four cars on the grid total probably about two mm-hmm. or three more than just the ones that were involved in the accident and a few people were were driving by but it slowed everybody down um but the drivers are okay they've walked away um but it was a pretty huge crash and pretty major news and mary has been excluded from i believe the next race possibly so he possibly it. was the car behind okay um only because and I don't know why, but I don't – and that's the question I have is there, it appeared this car was on the straight, and he was slowing down like he had an issue. Mm-hmm. And this car just came – this car from the back barreled end – Barreled right into him. Barreled back into him. So I'm assuming that being excluded from the race is probably because he barreled into the back end of him. Well, our next race is still two weeks away. So does that mean that next week we're going to go to Bermuda? Well, we'll talk about Bermuda. By the way, speaking of of calendars, one of the things that came out this week was the provisional calendar, which, yes, we've been provisionally at this number for the last three years, and it hasn't happened. But we are once again at 21 races. Included in that list is Germany, although it's not specified which track. I'm guessing going to be Hockenheim because it would have been Hockenheim's year, Mm -hmm. as well as, of all places, Azerbaijan, because you know— Every F1 fan is clamoring to go to a co- for F1 to go to a country that they've never heard of and probably can't actually afford to host an F1 race. But we're going there. That's not the big news about the calendar. Well, it's also the latest start in something like 20 years. The first race is until April. And it's happening in Australia the same weekend that AFL begins in Australia. Okay. I'm not an AFL fan, so. It doesn't matter. You're going to divide your audience. This is like putting the Austin race on the same weekend of the two Texas football teams. Well, they've already done that. You see how that works. <laughs> you know, none of, the, uh, none of the people could get hotel rooms for that Austin race that year. Well, the question is whether or not there is a Melbourne team playing at home at the same time that the the same weekend that the race is going and what the timing is between race activities and football activities. Right. Um, I just peeked at the headline. It looked like they were saying it was going to be a problem, but I didn't get into the the weeds of the details as what the problems would be. But it's going to conflict. While there may be some uh, conflict, if you think of the last couple of years as we've watched Australia – and you've seen the helicopter shots that have caught the streets just, you know, a few hundred feet away from the track. There's a ton of traffic. There's a lot of people in town who are not at the race, as busy as the race is. Right. So while there probably will be some impact, I doubt it'll be much. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the calendar gets whittled down from a provisional 21 to what is now an average of 19 to 18. Yeah. All right, on that, I think we have to call it a show. I think we have to call it a show. Remember, uh, check us out. You know, I'm seeing the numbers go up. Yay! But I am not seeing anybody new show up over on Facebook. I'm not seeing any new reviews over on iTunes. I'm not seeing any new reviews over on Stitcher. So, And definitely no reviews on Spotify. I should hope not. (laughs) See, I didn't go there. 
I know, but I'm never going to let you forget that. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. Ever. Keeps me honest on that one. Make sure I don't do it again. But anyway, now that you're listening, we want to hear from you. We want to know that you're there. It helps us keep moving. It helps us keep motivating and, and reminds us every week that we have to record. Hey, and perhaps tell us what you want to hear us talk about for the next two weeks since we don't have a race or F1 news. So we're going to have to go and come up with something. Well, we know Phil wants to hear about whatever's sitting in the test lab. We know Phil wants to hear about the trip. So we, we have that stuff. Okay. All the other things. And okay. no, I will not be talking about quadratic equations. I don't understand them. So we're, we're not going there. Don't ask. You don't understand quadratic equations? On really? we're not friends <laughs> on that note though we'll call it a show